0: We're working through a series that pops up now again, a series of Jesus' famous I Am statements. They're so meaty, they're so rich, so deep, but so simple as well. Jesus is very clear saying who he is and what he does. To start us off thinking about this passage, have you ever wondered why and how Christians across the world are willing to die for their faith? Isn't that a challenge? When we hear on the news of IS and other extremist groups who are willing to kill and be killed for their belief in God, how is it that believers in Jesus Christ are willing to die in shame and dishonor and in weakness because of their trust in God? And how is it that my dear friend, who's 100 years old this year, called Wynn, how is it that when I speak to her, she says she's homesick for heaven. With all sincerity, she has no fear in death. She's only got anticipation. Where does that power come from? Where does that confidence come from? It's so striking, isn't it? The answer, of course, is knowing Jesus makes all the difference. Makes the difference in life and in death. And we see this in our passage. You don't have to look far in our society to see all these people looking for life, do you? I mean, I do it. We all do it. We all look for life. We all look for meaning, purpose, satisfaction, and fulfillment. You can picture the scene. Maybe it's a sunny day, not thunder or lightning, but it's a sunny, beautiful day. You're sat in the garden with a cool drink in your hand. The kids are being nice and quiet. And that might be the situation that you say something like, this is the life, isn't it? Or I've got friends who are musicians who are making it in the music business. And you might say, they're living the dream. Is that real living? And to some extent, we all try to avoid death. It's a great taboo. We don't like to think about it. It's awkward even saying it now. And we try to evade it in our own lives by dieting, which I need to do more of, exercise. Or maybe you try to cover up the signs of death in our bodies by putting on makeup, or cosmetic surgery. We don't like death. We want to live, and we look for it in all these different areas. And to uh, some degree, it's going to differ, isn't it, uh, how that looks in our lives? But we all do it. But there comes a point in all of our lives, comes many points, where death breaks into our lives. The unwelcome guest... It's like we set up all these distractions so we don't have to think about death. We play on our phones, we watch entertainment, we get busy at work to try and block out the striking confrontation that death comes. But there comes points where there's nothing we can do. It just smashes into our lives. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it is the bombardment of this heavy, weighty news stories that are coming through. Maybe it's our own health which is making us consider our own mortality. But there does come a point where we're confronted with it, the reality of death. And it shakes us to our very core, doesn't it? It kind of shakes off all the external stuff so we can kind of see what we've deep down been clinging to. What are we trusting in? What are we living for? Is it worth it? Well, death broke into one family 2,000 years ago. There were two sisters and a brother. There was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And the amazing thing is that though death smashed into this family life, in the midst of the chaos, there was brought comfort and hope, and actually, real life was given. And it's because Jesus makes all the difference in life and in death. So let's walk through this story. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just so refreshing to have a look at a narrative, a story of the life of Jesus. To look how beautiful his character is. To see what he actually did and said. To come afresh to the story. So let's do that now. Let's meet Jesus in the Bible. So we find this story where Jesus and his disciples there are over across the Jordan. He was in the region where John the Baptist had been baptizing, and he's now there teaching. But back in Bethany, which is about a two days' journey away, his friend Lazarus was ill. And he's in fact very ill. It's an understatement when the writer of this gospel, says he was ill because we'd find out later he was literally on the verge of death. And so Lazarus's two sisters, Mary and Martha, this whole family, they they all knew and loved Jesus. And we read in verse 5 that Jesus also loved each one of them by name in particular. And because Lazarus was ill, fatally ill, his two sisters sent the message to Jesus. The message said simply, Lord, the one you love is ill. Now notice here that this message is so humble and simple. It's a plea and a prayer to the living Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not saying, do this, or please would you do this, or come as soon as you can. The one you love is ill such simple trust these sisters have in their lord they just say lord the one you love is ill they simply offer it into his hands there's something to learn there about our prayer knowing that jesus he knows what's best and he always does what's best so the best prayers that we can make is just say lord i commit this into your hands you know what's best but Jesus' response to this is so surprising. It comes a little before from where we started reading. Because he hears about Lazarus, the one he loved, and how he is ill. And he knows that he's on the verge of death. And he loved Lazarus with a love that we can't really fathom. And he loved the two sisters, Mary and Martha, more than the universe. And yet... When Jesus heard this message, he stayed where he was two days. Now, when I hear of someone that I love, who's fallen sick, is on the verge of death, I'll drop everything, I'll give my apologies, and I'll rush to go to be with them. And yet, when I get there, really, ultimately, there's pretty much little I can actually do when I'm there. I can be with them. I can say some comforting words maybe. I can pray with them, which is great. I can make a mean cup of tea. But really, can I actually do anything to help? Whereas here's Jesus with a love infinitely more than the capacity that I have to love and with the capability to heal Lazarus, to prevent him from dying. And he stays where he is two days How do we come to terms with this? Well, I think what we see is that Jesus had something better planned. He had something better planned for Lazarus, even though he would die. And he had something better planned for his two sisters. And maybe we're left waiting. We've sent a plea to the Lord Jesus saying, help. And it feels like he's just waiting. It can feel like that in many situations. But it's not that Jesus isn't in control. And it's not that he doesn't love so completely. But he's got something better planned. It's in his hands. He knows. And after two days pass, Jesus then says, Right, let's head back to Judea. And his disciples are baffled. Like, what? Back to Judea. And they're baffled because only a little while ago, Judea was the place where Jesus was almost stoned to death himself. He barely escaped. And so the disciples can't understand why he would want to go back to where they were nearly killed. So Jesus says, well, they must go back because their friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And he must go to wake him up. And to this, of course, the disciples are even more confused. Because why does Jesus have to go be someone's alarm clock and risk his neck by doing it? And so the disciples are saying, well, if he's asleep, then he'll wake up. If he's taking a nap, there's no bother. Let's not risk our lives. But Jesus tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And so that's why they must go. And when Jesus finally got to Bethany, Lazarus wasn't just dead five minutes, dead a day. He'd been in the tomb for four days, we read. Now after 10 minutes of death, of our heart stopping beating, there's pretty much nothing that modern medical help can give us. You can't revive a person after 10 minutes of death. And here is Lazarus, four days in the tomb. He would look like an extra in a horror film by this point. And when Jesus arrives, Martha comes out to meet Jesus. And she must have been heartbroken. Can you imagine? And confused as well. Didn't Jesus say that this illness will not end in death? Then why is my brother rotting in the tomb? She must have thought. But we see in this desperate situation, when she goes to her Lord, she displays faith even in this dark situation. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Sometimes, in this broken world and in our broken lives, we can ask a similar question, can't we? We can ask, where is God? We can tell Jesus, if you were only here, Lord, surely this wouldn't have happened. How How are we to deal with death of loved ones? Of suffering. Or Jesus says to Martha, Your brother will rise again. Martha is like, Yeah, yeah, I know. I know that in the last day he will rise again in the resurrection. See, she thought that Jesus was just comforting Martha with some kind of theological tidbit saying, it'll be all right in the end, don't worry, they're there, it's okay. And Martha shows that she she has all the correct answers. She might be that kind of character in the Bible study who always says the right thing. But she doesn't quite know or display, she knows what it means, what she is saying, and what Jesus is telling her. Because she assumes that Jesus is just reassuring her with some, distant future event. It's rotten now, but they're there. It'll be alright. But Jesus wants Martha to realize it's not just about the distant future. Jesus wants her to know this, because he says, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live though they die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? He cranks it up a notch. He's He's not trying to get Martha to put some hope in some distant future event. The resurrection wasn't miles away and years to come. The reality was that the resurrection was standing right in front of her. The person who is life was speaking to her. And he asks, do you believe this, Martha? And Martha replies wonderfully, doesn't she? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She shows again, she has all the head knowledge. She has all the correct answers. But at first, she didn't understand what it meant. Martha believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one full of the spirit without measure. He is the son of God sent into the world on God's rescue mission. But she didn't realize that that means he has complete authority. There's hope to be had, <coughs> excuse me. There's hope to be had now. <coughs> he has authority over demons, over illness, and even over death. So that's Martha's conversation with the Lord Jesus. And afterwards, Martha goes to fetch her sister. And as I said, Martha seems to be this one who has all the the head knowledge. And in Luke chapter 10, she's busy serving as Jesus is sat teaching. And her sister Mary is sat at Jesus' feet, listening to his words. These two sisters show that they're quite different characters. Whereas Martha's in this desperate situation, trying to keep it all together with the death of her brother, Mary is different because she's just in pieces. She's broken. She's not ashamed to show it. When Martha first came out to meet Jesus, Mary stayed at home. And then Martha went to get her sister. And when Mary hears that her Lord is asking for her, she belts it out the door so quick that she surprises those who are there mourning with her. And when she gets to Jesus, she runs to him and she falls down at his feet. The place where in Luke chapter 10, where she was listening to Jesus' words, where all was at peace and rest and contentment, she finds the same place at Jesus' feet. But now in brokenness and in grief and in desperate need. And we see that Mary says the same thing that her sister said. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she wept there. We see that these two sisters, though they're very different in their actions and what they say, what Martha displayed with her words, Mary displayed by her actions. Where Martha expresses so articulate truth about who Jesus is, about the hope that's found in him, Mary displays it by falling at his feet and weeping. And this deeply affected Jesus. It deeply affected him. We see the humanity of the Lord Jesus here. He is the Lord. He is the eternal Son of God who has come in the flesh. He's the Word of God, Yahweh, the I Am, who always was, is, and is to come. And yet, he's a God who cares, who weeps. When he sees his children grieving. Death snarls at him. And it makes him angry. He's offended by it. And he sees God's children grieving. And he hears. He sees and he feels the pain. And so he goes to the tomb. And we read the shortest verse in the whole Bible. But maybe one of the most profound. It says that Jesus wept this Jesus, he weeps. He knew that in a few moments even, Lazarus would be raised from the dead. That, And through this mighty act, people would see the saving power of the living God worked through him. And yet, Jesus still weeps. And Sometimes it's not enough, is it? Just to be told that it's going to be all right in the end sometimes it's not enough because it's not okay right now we might think does god only care about the end of it all well no we see here that jesus is with us in all of it and he knows about it all about all of it even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil says david for you are with me. The shadow of death was being cast over this family, and they're to fear no evil, because the Lord, the I AM, was with them. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, where is God when it hurts? Where is Jesus when life falls apart? And where is it? Where is He when a brother is dead and rotting? In a tomb. Well, we see here if he's your Lord, then he's with you in all of it. He mourns with those who mourn. And so we should never say, no one knows what it's like, because there is one who knows even more than you know what it's like, and he's with you in it. There's a God who cares. His name is Jesus. And what we see next is that Jesus isn't only the God who cares, but he is the God who acts. He doesn't just give a pat on the shoulder and say, I'm here with you in the rottenness. But he says, I'm with you in the rottenness, and I'll transform the rottenness. I'll bring life where there was only death before what he said to be the case by saying, I am the resurrection and the life, he now proves to be true without a doubt. And so he comes to the tomb and he orders the stone to be rolled away. And Martha shrieks, as it were, horrified at this. One time, Ellie and I went on holiday and Elliot very purposefully and dutifully switched off all of the electrics so nothing could catch on fire. But Unfortunately, she'd also switched off the fridge and the freezer. And so when we got back, of course, we opened the freezer and this waft of death hit my face. I wonder what it would have been like opening that tomb where there was a man in the warm heat of the Middle East. And so Martha's rightly horrified. You can't do that. What are you doing? So Jesus has to remind her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so Jesus prays, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is absolutely confident that he has his Father's full attention, and he's absolutely confident that he will now, in fact, raise Lazarus from the dead. And notice that Jesus prays this, not for his own sake, but for those standing there, and even for us today, that we would be able to see this, hear these words, and to see that he is who he says he said he was. I said that in a convoluted way. He is the resurrection and the life. And so here's the moment that everyone was waiting for. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And you know what happened? Well, of course we know what happened. But can you imagine what it was like there the first time? When you saw the dead man walking out alive. Jesus shows without a doubt to everyone he is who he claimed to be. He shows himself to be the word of God, who at the very beginning called the universe into existence from nothing. He manifests the power of the living God, having authorities over all things, even something as hopeless as death. And with such authority, one commentator on this passage supposed that if Jesus hadn't specifically called Lazarus come out, then of course the whole of the world would empty its graves. All of the dead would rise because they would have to respond to the irresistible command of the Messiah, the Lord of heaven and earth. But wow, can you imagine being there? Can you imagine the astonishment of the crowd as they saw this man walking out of the tomb? Can you imagine the amazement on the faces of those who go up to Lazarus, who unbind the the grave clothes and see his flesh is made whole again? And can you imagine the joy that's in the heart of the two sisters? The, The thankfulness, the gratitude to their Lord and to be reunited with their brother. Can you imagine being Lazarus? I mean, who knows what it would be like. One day we will know when we're raised bodily. But he would say, once I was dead, but I heard Jesus, my Lord, speaking, and I followed him. I heard his call, and I got up, and I followed. The result of this awesome event was two reactions by the crowd. There was two reactions. Some of those saw this epic event and they did the logical thing to do. They believed Jesus. They saw how trustworthy Jesus was. They saw how tender he was with the two sisters. How heartwarming. How he's a person, a Lord to be trusted. But he also saw his power and authority. How he can give hope to the hopeless. They saw their need, and they saw in Jesus the solution. And so the obvious thing to do is to trust Jesus, to follow him. But some, we read, in the last verse we read, some went to the Pharisees to complain about this. They saw someone be raised from the dead and They complained about it. Can you imagine sitting in a and e, complaining about the doctors helping all these sick people? That's an awful thing you're doing. Preventing death, bringing hope. How are they doing this? But it's interesting for us to consider that John, the writer of this gospel, comments saying there were some who did not believe. There are some who witnessed this event firsthand. They're right there. They saw Jesus. They smelt the stench of death as the tomb was opened. They heard the authoritative command of the Messiah. And they saw the dead man walk out alive and his flesh made whole. And yet they didn't believe. Because some people do say, don't they? They say, I would believe in God if he were to give me some kind of sign, if he was to prove to me without a doubt that he was there. But the truth is Jesus said that even if he raised someone from the dead, even then they wouldn't believe. He actually said that. And here's the fulfillment of it in our passage. And all the while, the reality is that Jesus has set the exact times and events of our lives, so that we would seek him, that we would know him. The whole universe is the outcome of him calling it into existence. The heavens declare the glory of God. And yet some still don't believe. It's not because of lack of evidence. We can say that about the the people who saw Lazarus being raised, don't we? It's a stubborn refusal of the evidence And they refused the evidence because I think they understood the implications of what it meant if Jesus was the resurrection and the life. They understood something and they were scared by it. In chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. He heals this blind man. And there's this account that follows that would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic. Because Jesus heals this poor guy who is pleading to Jesus that he would be healed. And Jesus heals him. And these Jewish leaders, they don't believe that it's the same man who once was blind but now can see. And so they keep on asking him, you're not really the guy who is blind, are you? And then he keeps on saying, yeah, I am. And then they go to his parents and say, oh, this isn't your son. This isn't the man who is blind. He's like, he's of age, ask him. I don't want to get involved. They're just stubbornly refusing this evidence. And Jesus points out that he opens the blind man's eyes to tell us something that we all need. He heals the blind, saying we all need our eyes opened Spiritually. We're all spiritually blind and we all need Jesus to see clearly. And instead of going, oh, that's the reason I'm like how I am, I need Jesus. The Jewish leaders were offended. Are we blind as well? They sneer. And so when Jesus raises Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead, what's he saying? What's the connotation, the implication of him doing this? Are we spiritually dead as well? Maybe the Jewish leaders would have thought. They understand something about who Jesus is and what it means for us. See, the problem of humanity fundamentally isn't just that we do bad things, that we need someone to give us some good advice We don't just need to try our best. We need to be, spiritually speaking, raised from the dead. Our standing with God naturally is that like Lazarus in the tomb. Rotting, decaying, going from bad to worse. And no hope other than Jesus and these Jewish leaders, they understood this. They were scandalized by this. And so they wanted rid of him. God turns up in the flesh. He does the most amazing works you could ever imagine, proving to be God, raising the dead. And people want rid of him. And they seek to kill him. And eventually they did. They crucified Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, he suffered the most horrendous death. And this, we're told, displayed the glory of God. It was the hour of his glory. It's because Jesus' death wasn't like the death of Lazarus. It wasn't like the death of mine will be like or anyone else's in history. His death was a death like no other because in his death, he was bearing the punishment of the world's sin. He became sin on the cross and he bore the punishment that it deserved. But do you know what happened when he died? This person, the resurrection and the life, by him dying... By the author of life dying, he broke death. He broke it. The grave couldn't handle him, and death couldn't defeat him. He defeated death by dying. And so, on the third day, he rose again to life, proving that death was conquered. And we know death was conquered because the reason death happens is because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus broke death, defeated it, undone it, because he dealt finally, once and for all, paying for sin. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. See, Jesus' resurrection is a life like no other. His death was a death like no other and his resurrected life is a life like no other because it differs from that of Lazarus's. I'll explain it like this. Imagine death is this surging river and when Lazarus died, he stepped down the bank, he walked into the waters and he was overwhelmed by the waters. Jesus comes And he brings Lazarus back from the dead. And by doing so, he called him back onto the same side that he entered. And so Lazarus was back from the dead. But when Jesus died, he walked down into the waters of the surging river of death. And when he enters the waters, when he is consumed by the waters, the waters are dried up. It's no more. This person who is life dries up the river of death. And when he is resurrected, he doesn't come back into the same kind of life as before. He walks straight through the river of death, onto the other side, into a new life that is beyond death. Always to live for the glory of God. It's different and it's glorious. And if this is true... If Jesus is the I am, the resurrection and the life, then it's true that he is alive and reigning today. And we read that John wrote this gospel so that though we can't see this event happening before our eyes, we can read about it and that we would know that Jesus is who he said he is. And that we can trust him. And that by trusting, we would have life in his name. Because that's what we need. We're all looking for life. We're all trying to avoid death. But the one place we can have real spiritual life, eternal life, the Bible calls it, a life with purpose and meaning, in connection with God. We have to go to Jesus, the person who is life. If I have a prescription from the doctor, I could go to the car mechanic and try to pick it up. Will I get what I wanted? I could go to a guitar shop. I love going to guitar shops. I could spend a week going to guitar shops. But will I get what I need? I need to go to the chemist. That's the one place where I can get what I'm prescribed. I need spiritual life. I'm dead spiritually, dead in my transgressions and sins. I need Jesus, the one place and the one person who can offer me spiritual life, who can call to me, Dom, come out, and I'll follow him. Jesus makes all the difference in life and in death. So people all around the world, even today, are trusting in him and finding that Jesus is worth even dying for because even though they die, yet they'll live because of the difference that Jesus makes.